Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we are bringing you some roundtable interviews in preparation for The Bad Batch Season 3. I got to do two separate roundtables for a bit of press, one with Jennifer Corbett and Brad Rao. Jennifer Corbett is, of course, the head writer and executive producer of Bad Batch, and Brad Rao is the supervising director and also an executive producer. And then I got to hop on a second roundtable with Michelle Ong, who is the voice of Omega. And you might be wondering, hey, Caitlin, aren't there usually two of you on this show? Where's Charlotte? (laughs) And you would be right. Um, Charlotte is, of course, usually here with me. But she has been on a very exciting family trip in Asia, in Japan, and a couple of days in South Korea. And she's been there for for a while, actually, a very long time. (laughs) But they've been having a great time. And um, yeah, so it is just me on this episode. But It was super fun to get to do these roundtable interviews. I did get some screeners for Bad Batch Season 3. And y'all, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. I think Season 3 is so good. I... I just I I can't get over sometimes how good this show is. I've been rewatching it. I'm not sure if I'm going to finish my full rewatch by the time season three premieres. But just going back and seeing the story of these characters from the very beginning of Bad Batch season one. And if you've been a longtime listener, you know that Charlotte and I were never clone people, right? That was never the, the side of the Star Wars story that we latched onto. But the Bad Batch have completely kind of changed that for both of us. And I don't know, just rewatching from season one, seeing how all the relationships between Omega and the rest of the Bad Batch have grown, how she's grown. It's just, it's so beautiful. And to be able to come to season three, it's sad that it's the last season, but I'm really grateful that the, you know, the the creatives behind the Bad Batch were able to close out the story the way that they wanted with season three, which is something they talk a little bit about in these roundtable interviews. I did want to give a bit of of a disclaimer before we dive into the roundtables that while I don't think these roundtable interviews are, there are no bombshell spoilers (laughs) that are given in them. I do think they kind of creep towards spoiler territory. Um, I think they're like on the border of spoiler territory. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, I just think that there are some things that are kind of implied and talked about that happen in the later half of the season, even past what I've seen with the screeners. Um, And for example, they kind of talk about things that don't happen in the first three episodes of of the Bad Batch, which is, you know, the first three um, episodes are going to premiere on the, uh, February 21st. So I think if you're someone who really wants to be completely spoiler free and really not have any implications about what's coming down the line further on in the season, I think these might these might be roundtables you want to save until later on in the season. But I I just wanted to give a bit of a disclaimer. Like I said, I don't think that there's no bombshell spoilers that happen in it, but definitely, definitely some things that I remember leaving the interview and thinking, oh, I'm surprised they talked about that. You know what I mean? So just want to be very clear. Don't want to give anyone any kind of spoilers that they're not looking for. But 
it's always such a treat to talk to these creatives and it's clear how much they love the Bad Batch and this show and I just think the show is so well written and so well produced you know it's just it's such a solid Star Wars animated show and you guys know we love Star Wars animation so to be able to hear more about their creative process and what they think about coming to the end of the series was really really special so I hope whether you listen now or listen later um, you do listen to these interviews because um, I think they're so great and it's always such a treat to get to hear from the people making the stories we love so I'll stop rambling now and we'll head straight into the interviews and I'll take over another one of Charlotte's roles on the show when I say without further ado let's get started so who talks first you talk first I talk first hi Jennifer and Brad um the clone war the bad batch excuse me is ripe with imagery of water we have the Camino planet Season two opened with the crab heist. We have the frozen water of the outpost. We have Pabu. And I seem to see these watery images popping up in season three. Could you talk a little bit about water as a storytelling element in the show? You got to stay hydrated. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, we are always just looking for different landscapes uh, for the for the show to take place that is uh, cinematic. But in terms of uh, Pabu in general, I'll say uh, that during the pandemic when we were making season <laughs> two, I think we were all going a little stir crazy and wanting to go on a vacation. So Pabu was very much our dream come true. And we got very obsessed with the sushi on Pabu and how we can make it as realistic as possible. <laughs> This is kind of our mission. We're going a little stir crazy. <laughs> a, a little crazy. Oh, I want to thank you both so much for the incredible series that is a Bad Batch season three is is fabulous what we've seen so far. But before we go forward, I'd like to get your thoughts on the loss of tech, specifically how audiences received it. It was so beautifully done and full of pathos. That must have been very bittersweet and gratifying. It was really hard, um, to be honest. Uh, when we, as we conceived the story, we were coming up with the story for the end of season two. We knew if we're going into Tarkin's home base, if you're going to go into the lion's den, there's going to be a price to pay, or it's not realistic. And we didn't do any, we didn't do anything lightly. It, several discussions, so much time went into figuring out how that was going to go, and you know, tech, he, he did the noble thing. He's, he's, he, he sacrificed himself for the rest of his family. And I'll tell you how many times we've, you know, read the scripts and shot the scenes literally hundreds and hundreds of times through editorial and music and working with D D and Michelle through that whole, that whole moment. It's, it always choked us up every, every single time. So it was, uh, it was a, it was a big deal and pretty incredible to see the fan reaction. And and the loss of of tech is very much talked about, you know, throughout season three and very present in the characters and how they're dealing with that hole in their lives. There's a delicate balance between the characters and the broader galactic story that's going on in season three, indeed, in all the seasons of the show. How do you decide and how do you choose the balance between the two? Because I imagine it's very easy to get caught up in the characters as much as it's very easy to get caught up in this broader history that's being built. Well, now that it's the final season, it is that balancing act. And uh, it's how do, how do we make sure that we are focusing mostly on the characters' journeys, but also give a uh, fulfilling and, uh, and worthwhile um, mission that they can um, take part in for the end? I 
This is Keith and Kerwin from Father Sun Galaxy. Hello there. Hi. One of our favorite episodes of season two, season two was The Outpost. Can you explain how you developed the story and why you chose a vulture to represent Crosshair as a vicious creature trying to find a way to survive? Well, that, that's one of our favorites, too. Um, uh, even though Crosshair didn't have many episodes in season two, we wanted the ones that he was in to be very impactful. And he wouldn't have gotten to this point if it weren't for the episode with Commander Cody also in season two. Um, the Vulture, which was also voiced by D. Bradley Baker. Yes. <laughs> he does everybody. Um, yeah, it was just, again, the Vulture is a survivor. And the Vulture is this solitary figure as well. So uh, that imagery was very much intentional. And uh, a lot went into that story. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that you like it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one of our favorite episodes. We were really, really intentional with how close the vulture is to the camera at what point in the story and how close the vulture was to the ground at what point in the story. We actually shot way more footage of the vulture. At one point, Jen said, Brad, I think there's too much vulture in the episode. You're right, Jen. You're right. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it was very symbolic. Yeah, William Devereaux, Ion Cannon Podcast. The dynamic between Crosshair and Echo is so important, especially in the first half of season three. There's a lot of heart despite everything that Crosshair has put them through. How did you approach writing this, their dynamic between these two characters in, in the final season? Well, Crosshair has a lot to make up for, and he has still to go through and process the things that he's done. And it's never easy to admit when you're wrong. And what I love about season three is that we're with him as he's going on this journey and guiding him is Omega because Omega is the one who can see things very clearly, but also how the squad embraces him or doesn't embrace him initially is very much true to their character and also why they feel this way. Um, but yeah, and, and, and that relationship with him and everyone uh, will continue to uh, evolve in the episodes you guys haven't seen yet. Yeah, some of my favorite moments in season three are conversations between Omega and Crosshair. It's just wait for it. It's incredible. Hey, hey, we are Richard and Sarah from Skywalking Through Neverland, and we want to we want to tap into this water theme. Mm -hmm. As Omega is held in her room in Mount Tantus, which she's told is not a cell, we see water continuously dripping from the faucet. And that can have so many symbolic meanings, but we'd really like to hear from you and what you guys think it means or wanted it to mean. Hmm. Well, maybe we won't answer 100%, but it it, it is very symbolic. Um, and we always wanted this sense of sort of monotony in that episode. You don't really know how much time has passed in Jin's awesome script. When I was talking to Saul Ruiz, who was the episodic director for the episode, it was an idea that he came up with, with his story team, like, oh, Saul, incredible, because we were trying to find a way, you know, when do we put in the music? When do we not have music? And in that little room that she's in, it's not technically a prison, but it's a prison. Um, how do we, how do we convey that? So when the team, and this is just an example of how we make every episode, we're constantly collaborating with all of our storytellers behind the scenes to get the image on frame, to get the sound just the way it's got to be. And that reverberated all the way, you know, literally all the way through the episode to the end when we were doing the mix at Skywalker Sound with David Collins and it was a, Collins the the drip 
we need like a little bit more reverb. And then he had all of his ideas for when we hear it as well. We talked a lot about that dripping water, actually. Hi, this is Alex from Star Wars Explained. Uh, Mark already kind of touched on this, but I've been so impressed with how well you've balanced a very focused personal story with the Bad Batch, uh, with also the big galactic story of all clone troopers. Is that a story you knew you were going to tackle from the beginning of this series? Or is it something that developed over the full three seasons? We've sort of, uh, at the beginning of season one, it was, yes, this is a story about the Bad Batch, but it's also about the story of um, the the end of uh, the clone trooper program and what that looks like in Star Wars. Because I, as I've said before, I, as a fan, always asked what happened to the clones after the war because I, I don't I you want, we don't see them later so we wanted to just focus again on leaning into that veteran aspect and what that looks like um and how that also affects the batch because even though they're not with the empire and they're not part of it they are still clones and those are still their brothers so again it, making it as personal as possible uh for the characters and and for the ones telling the story George with Star Wars Holocron, thank you so much for speaking with all of us today. Um, yeah, I had a question about the connections that the Bad Batch has to other Star Wars stories and, and broader lore. There's obviously a very intimate story, um, the season involving Omega and Crosshair, but there's also all sorts of other connections and references to um, other Star Wars, corners of the Star Wars galaxy. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how those connections come to be and if it warrants collaborations with filmmakers and other creators beyond the the core team of the Bad Batch. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when we early days on all of our episodes, we were always talking to Dave Filoni and he has such great insight and he's a great leader and, and friend and mentor to us. Um, we also have access to the Lucasfilm story group, which will from time to time, you know, give us a note about something based on another show. But we are it's it's interesting at this time the timeline of the Bad Batch, there's not a lot of other shows right exactly happening or other anything happening right at this moment of the Bad Batch. So it gives us a little bit of freedom. But then when we get into something like Mount Tantus, speaking of big, big ideas and, and big lore, it gets really, it gets really tricky. And so we're very careful that our personal character story doesn't step on something or contradict something else that has happened elsewhere. Hi, I'm Caitlin from Sky Talkers. So great to speak with you both today. My question is, was it fun to write Crosshair and Omega's dynamic this season? And how is her relationship with Crosshair different from the rest of the Bad Batch? Uh, uh, yes, I love writing the two of them together because they are the odd couple. Um, he comes off as very negative and she comes off as very positive. So anytime that these two can learn from one another, uh, I'm all for and I think it's also just uh, with everything that Crosshair has been through and feeling like he was used, feeling that he was abandoned to be then paired up with this kid who shows nothing but empathy and never gives up on him. Uh, it's yeah, I, I love I love their dynamic and um, I just love the two of them together. And Dean and Michelle took to that so <laughs> much. They love that dynamic and they they put they pushed it in all the in all the right directions. And I I would say, you know, yeah, everything you're saying, Jen, it's so interesting how they each affected each other, not just Omega affecting Crosshair, but how Crosshair affects Omega is, is pretty fascinating, actually. I wanted to talk about Fennec Shand. Was she always in the plan or did you end up in a space and realize that she fit the story you were telling? I'd say a little bit of both. 
because we knew that uh, bounty hunters were a particular part of a, a storyline. And since we had seen Fennec Shan interact with Omega in the Batch in season one, she was a, a natural uh, character to kind of slot in there. And also just uh, that her personality versus uh, Hunter and Wrecker is just something that I'd, I'd pay to see. Um, and uh, again, any chance to work with Ming-Na will take because she's phenomenal. So obviously we're not going to spoil anything because that would be a big no-no. I want to share also the the appreciation as as my esteemed peers have, have echoed throughout the intricate level of detail and storytelling that also makes sure to advance character development in a very profound way. It's, it's quite Shakespearean in a way that I, I really love. And I realize this is not a fair question, but are there certain members of the Bad Batch that speak to you more than others? <laughs> I like that you're framing me who's your favorite one in a different way. <laughs> impossible <laughs> um i well yeah i i can appreciate hunter quite a bit because um he's the leader of the squad but he carries a lot of weight on his shoulders and he's not always the most vocal but he's trying to keep the family together and uh kind of see what like everything that weighs on him especially in the beginning of season three with the loss of tech with omega missing um, I, it's just, it's, it's a, it's someone I understand because I would say if that were my kid, I would do this. So I I'm on board with the decision that Hunter's making. Yeah. And I mean, I'll just add, you know, I mean, this, the bad batch has the space dads and Omega as a father myself. There's a lot of times where it's interesting how different members of the bad batch react to Omega that are coming right from my heart, coming from our heart as, you know, as creators behind the scenes relating to things that, you know, that we encounter in our own lives. Yeah. There's nothing like, and Hunter's the classic dad, but, you know, speaking, we've been talking about Crosshair and Omega. There's a couple of moments where the dad side of Crosshair is quite interesting. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I wanted to talk about tech again. Uh, so how long did it take for you to decide that it was going to be tech that was going to execute plan 99? about how long it was more convincing ourselves that it had to happen um because we love him so much uh but it in thinking about it and thinking about the squad dynamics tech is very much what i call like the squad navigator and when you take him out of the equation that affects everyone in the squad he would always keep everybody moving be very factual about what they needed to do and you take that out and now everything kind of unravels. So now not only do they not have tech, they don't have Omega and Echo is, you know, off on another mission with Rex trying to uncover other information. So it's really the effect of the squad is them being fractured at the beginning of season three. And we deal with that emotional fallout throughout the season that, that we're missing our brother and our our teammate and our crew, our crew member. And it affected us behind the scenes the whole time, even, you know, just adding piggybacking off what you're saying, Jen, there were times when there was a moment that, you know, tech could have been really useful in getting out of this jam. So we had to solve the problem in a, in a different way. It, uh, it, it, he, he's a huge, huge character and his loss is not lost on us. That's for sure. Uh, the show's ending. Uh, it's as slick and smooth and confident as any Star Wars show has ever been. So how does it feel to you as people behind the scenes to end the show when you're in such a rich vein of form? 
Oh, thanks a lot. That's awesome compliment. I mean, we've had such a blast. Jen and I were honored and, you know, we're proud to be able to represent the literally hundreds of people that have been working on this show at Lucasfilm and CGCG and Skywalker Sound and Team Kiner with the amazing music. Our entire cast is beautiful. Um, we Sometimes we say behind the scenes, even though it's hundreds of people, it's like we all became this weird bad batch behind behind the scenes as, as well. And so to end the story is certainly bittersweet, but we're really proud that we were able to do it on our terms. When we knew this is going to be our, our final season, we were able to land it the way we wanted to. So we hope you all and all the fans like it as much as we do. I'll say as, as a storyteller, you always have a vision of what a product is going to be. And sometimes it doesn't live up to, well, I, that's not really what I, what I thought this show has gone above and beyond everything. And that is a testament to the cast and, and the crew. Yeah, thank you again for taking the time to talk with us. Omega's high M count, which I think we're all reading through the lines, probably is midichlorian count, um, uh, implies that she has the force or at least a high affinity for it. Uh, of course, in the first two seasons, there have been many moments where she seemed to have either be very talented or have some connection in some way. Uh, of course, you know, without spoiling anything, how, can, how did you approach laying the groundwork for this reveal throughout the previous seasons? Well, I'll say anytime you mention that word, <laughs> I think a lot of people perk up. Um, all we can really say is that I know a lot of you have questions about that and things will be answered, you know, through the end of season three. Um, but it is a balance that we're trying to strike because it's, um, we have to be very conscious of, of what we're saying and, and what the things that you're hearing mean. Um, so without spoiling too much, that's, that's an answer or (laughs) non-answer. Yeah. A lot and a lot went into Every single time you hear any of those kind of words and what it means and how that comes to be, it took a lot of a lot of careful planning. Thank you. Very Thank you so much. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you all. Awesome. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. Hi, this is Trisha from Fangirls Going Rogue. Um, Omega has this incredible ability to hope for the best from people or situations. What do you think the audience can learn from her optimism? Uh, You know, that optimism can get you through the face of some really challenging times. Um, Season three is a really, is is a big one for Omega. She suddenly is hit with the realization that her, that she might be the cause for, uh, why the Bad Batch is constantly in peril and that weighs pretty heavy. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, that that this no matter how bleak the circumstances, if you can find a way to to have hope, then uh then that can sustain you through some dark times. Thank you so much. Uh it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Omega is an is a total beacon of joy and hope for so many of us. And I want to thank you for that. Now, when you think about her journey, especially in this season, what do you think the most important thing for her to learn has been as her character in the series has progressed? It's kind of, oh, it's tricky. Lots of things, but like for this season, I would say sort of self-confidence. Season two was so much about like learning skills from all of the different brothers. But now there's a big chunk of the season where she's literally alone or at least separated from most of most of the people she's relied on in the past. So it's this self-reliance that brings about a self-confidence that kind of sees her through the season. Hello. Um, Omega's grown a lot, but how has she changed for you in the time that you've played her? 
how has she changed for me? You mean as like how my relationship to her or like in a more physical portrayal kind of Yeah, sense? you, you started off with a kid, you've got now a much more mature, you know, weathered, she's learned a lot and grown a lot. How, so how has that changed for you in, yeah, in terms of the performance? Yeah. And you know what? The the writers have done a beautiful job of of keeping the growth, at, you know, consistent. Um, so really for me, my job's so easy because these scripts come fully formed and and because we are shooting them chronologically, which sometimes doesn't happen when you're doing live action, uh, I'm building off of the last episode that I've dropped anyway. So my knowledge is up to date with Omegas and I just rely on the yeah the sort of detail in the script um yeah if that makes sense <laughs> hi there hi this is keith and Kerwin from father son galaxy mm -hmm. hey guys nice to see you again Good nice to see, see you. you again too so the series has allowed omega to develop relationships with all of her brothers what has she learned from each one from each one um i mean I feel like, you know, primarily it was with Hunter and then you know, then in season two, there was a, we got to explore a lot with tech, RIP, uh, and Echo and sort of, you know, the, the practical side of like having knowledge and, and fixing things and then Echo sort of the principled nature of knowing what his mission is in terms of, which Omega has adopted as well, which is like, there are our brothers who need us, who are being taken away and tested on and in peril and it's our duty to 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 you know and we should be in service of trying to help them um and then this last season is you know I'm so excited that Omega is reunited with Crosshair because she challenges him and in some ways I think Crosshair has something to learn from her <laughs> in this season um and their roles are reversed in some ways I, Omega becomes a caretaker and someone with wisdom, both to Crosshair as an individual with what he's going through with his sort of trauma and PTSD, and also the reintegration of like um, relationships after a fracture, you know, bringing Crosshair back in and, and what forgiveness uh, and, and real love in the face of, you know, in the face of a betrayal and then reuniting together what that can look like uh actually playing off of that last question omega has such a great relationship with each member of the bad batch uh, and the dynamic with each one is so different which is your favorite member of the bad batch to play off of i feel like across the seasons it's changed because you know there has been stronger relationships but e this is an easy question to answer for me at this juncture because season three it's it's just so delicious this new dynamic between crosshair and omega and you know, because Crosshair is getting as good as he gives, you know, there are some juicy moments where she really gets to be like, listen, guy, <laughs> stop, stop being, stop being like this. You, This is how you do it. And she gets to prove Crosshair wrong. And there's a sort of like beautiful, funny bickering that underneath it all has so much love, which is, at least in my experience, so indicative of what family actually is, like the ability to confront and hold accountable and tease and still have it come from a place of, of generosity and ultimately love. Hey, hey, this is Sarah and Richard from Skywalking Through Neverland. It, it is. Hey there. It's so much fun watching scenes between Omega and Batcher. 
do you get to record <laughs> scenes with Dee Bradley Baker as he's performing Batcher? And how much fun is that? I mean, this is wild and obviously well known at this point. Uh, Dee is just such a vocal magician and he absolutely leapt at the chance to play Batcher. And, you know, with Dee, there's never any, I would be reading the script and there, there are moments where it calls for Batcher to be expressive and it would just be this like long sort of diatribe of moment. And I'd be like, is that, nope, nope, let's go. Okay, <laughs> Dee just brings so much color to it, which was really essential being that you're right. Omega has this deep connection to a non-speaking character. Um, but yeah, watching D utilize that amazing skill of his is never, ever going to bore me. It's just incredible. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hi, this is Alex from Star Wars Explained. Uh, one of my favorite, hi, one of my favorite Omega character traits is how she will mimic the mannerisms of the people that she looks up to, like Hunter or Fee. Uh, if you could pick any Star Wars character for her to, for her to hang out with and mimic, who would you like to see? Mm. Mm. Any Star Wars character? Well, I mean, so tricky. I don't know. All I can say is, I don't know if you guys have seen up to this part, but like Asajj Ventress was a real, it was incredibly interesting to Omega. Like, like, you know, she's come across formidable uh, female figures, but uh, I think that one in particular really sort of took Omega, yeah, it took Omega, she had to take a step back and sort of, there was this sort of fear and, respect and like intrigue um so maybe her <laughs> um over the course of three seasons omega has kind of won everyone's hearts over there's some beautiful moments some intimate ones some epic ones i'm wondering if there's a particular omega moment or even episode that really stands out to you across your three seasons of work mm, oh my gosh that stands out to me it spans so much so so much time and my memory is so bad but like I guess, oh, I mean, I know you guys haven't seen the finale of season three yet, and there were slightly different ways. We, we you know we weren't set on exactly how it was going to end, so there were sort of some explorations. But like as a as a actor and as like an emotional sort of moment, I'd have to say that I know that's such a mean answer because you haven't seen it, but just. I feel like it was, it's like the culmination of my journey as a performer and Omega's journey as a character, like all consolidated into like two lines <laughs> or something, you know? Yeah. Hi, I'm Caitlin from Sky Talkers. So nice to talk to you today, Michelle. Um, my hey. question is last season, we saw Omega witness the Senate hearings where they discussed the future of the clones. And now she's seeing what's happening to them at Mount Tantus. How do you think experiences like these are changing Omega as she's growing up and her understanding of the galaxy? Well, you know, the, the whole concept to her that there is there are differences between rights of living beings just blew her mind. You know, like some people have rights, some people have have you know, the ability to be represented. And then there's this whole community of who she considers her brothers and now sister who who don't. And so that inequity, I think, 
at first was like sort of mind-blowing but you're at Mount Tantus it's really dark like these the, the things that are going on there are very without even having that knowledge of of politics or whatever just on a on a hum, humane level she's like this is deeply unsettling um so sorry what the, what was the part the second part of your question <laughs> oh just how it's influencing her and her thoughts on the galaxy and growing up yeah I mean I think this is where the complexity of like the fact that she's still a child but then knowing that things are wrong sort of come into play like I don't think she's worried about fixing the whole galaxy but what she does feel very strongly about is this facility is is doing things to people that 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 I care about and we need to get them all out so that becomes like a very very forceful drive throughout season three which is that not only does she want to extricate both herself and crosshair but there's this desire to that is not accomplished until she's managed to take out all the clones from Mount Tantus. Hi, Michelle. This is Tara Bennett from Star Wars Insider Magazine. Um, I wanted to circle back to the question before last, just in terms of talking about the end of the season. Um, it's really special, you know, that uh, you got a chance to complete the arc of, of your character in the series. And um, uh, without spoilers, but just in terms of your own of your own experience with it, did you treat that final um, script in a different way? Was it... Um, did you want to know what was coming? Um, did you want to be go pure when you went, when you went into it? I know you said that there were still some changes, but you know, at the end of the day, it's the last time um, maybe you know that you'll play her. Um, so it's just interesting to see how you you kind of treated it, and then you know if it, you wanted to be surprised as you read it. I mean, I knew it was obviously we knew this was the, going to be the final um, season, and it was with great trepidation when I received the last script that I opened it up, and you know, I will admit. It wasn't like I was reading it while I was eating lunch. Like I had to prepare myself emotionally before opening up the document because, yeah, it is. It's it is really sentimental. And and I was I was sad. I, you know, I'm grateful for the journey, but the fact that it had to end after three was you know was surprising and and shocking. But also, I think that the writers have done a beautiful job. Um, I yeah I. I I don't know how to say it without it's so hard to say it without giving spoilers. I think that the the gravity of the final sort of moments <clears throat> made it easy to feel like that was the culmination of everything. Like the I was excited um in one in one sort of exploration because uh Amiga was sort of set up uh, with the possibility of a very large future perhaps and then um and then it changed from there so then I had to park that um, expectation about where Omega would end up to one side and go with the new idea um which was a little bit bittersweet uh, but I I also was able to see some of the previs uh, because the because the last two episodes took a little bit longer to put together and that was actually really awesome to see the visualization of those final moments and that yeah that sort of brought the whole experience together for me okay great uh so basically omega is in the first part of the season you know she's 
captive. And before that, she was free with the Bad Batch. Is there anything you did different with like your prep or your voice acting to display those differences? That's actually really insightful as a question because there was this talk about like, like how long has she been in this facility? And, you know, we've all talked about her optimism in the face of, you know, terrible things, but even like the, I wanted to make sure it felt real that she was a, a prisoner, you know? And so that kind of the dreariness, the mundaneness, and, you know, she's kept in the cell with like no, nothing stimulating. And it's, she, you know, her closest person that she gets to, converse with is Emery who although she's her sister is like so cold and emotionally withholding um so yeah in terms of performance it's like having a physical toll of mundaneness uh adds a bit of like weight or it does it does change your vocal quality and, and I did think a lot about that um and sometimes, you know, the tension between wanting to re remain optimistic, but like then physically sort of feeling the burden of, you know, being kept or, you know, being in a sterile environment. Um, and I think that that was quite important. Um, I'm glad that you touched on it because it's a pretty, it's a pretty dark space for a young child to be living in. Uh, the Kiner's music is always a great highlight of any Star Wars animated series. So how does it feel to have your own musical theme? Is it your ringtone or do you ever listen to it to get through the day? The, you, the Bad Batch theme song, you mean? Uh, or Omega's motif, but either. Ah, um, I was like, what's Omega's motif? Do I Omega's motif? Is there a motif for her that always comes out when she appears? I haven't clued on to that. <laughs> Not every time, but uh, there's definitely some recognizable notes. Ah, I mean, listen, I think the composers of the Bad Batch just are like the secret weapon because I don't get to see that. I get to obviously be there for the vocal performance. And then when I do pickups, I get to see some of the visuals. Um, some of them are fairly early in the stages, but I only get to, to like hear the composition once I view with the public when the series goes live. Um so it always blows my mind how much extra emotional heft. I was like, wow, these composers are making me look good. <laughs> like, um, but I, for me that um, the, I don't know the proper word, but the sound of like when the Bad Batch logo comes out is just, yeah, I have such strong emotional correlation of like feeling absolute gratefulness um, when I hear that because I still can't believe I get to be a part of your family. <laughs> Thank you, Thank so, you. Much, so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Those were the roundtable interviews with Jennifer, Brad, and Michelle. I hope you guys enjoyed them and are really looking forward to season three. I know I am. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. And if you want to talk to us about The Bad Batch and what you're looking forward to with season three, you can find us on Twitter, or I'm sorry, X, <laughs> at SkytalkersPod, or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher, and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, our Instagram, 
Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, email. Those are all great places to find us if you're interested. And if you have a couple seconds and would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we would appreciate it so much. You can also share in real time that you're listening to the show by screenshotting, sharing on your story and tagging us. And we would love to repost that. It kind of works like word of mouth for the podcast. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And for information on how to get involved in our wonderful Discord community. And I will also say that our Discord is the place to be when new Star Wars is airing. We have a channel, a Bad Batch channel, and people are in there kind of right when they watch the episode talking about what they thought, what they think is coming next, everything like that. It's a very fun place to be. So you can check out how to get involved there on our Patreon. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Emily, Stephanie, John, Kate, Tadashi, Catherine, Jeff, Stefan, Anna, Mats, Mercedes, Maggie, Saber Bouquet, Allison, Kelly, Colton, Anders, Patty, Sophie, Logan, Molly, and Catherine. Thank you guys so much for your support. It means the world. And until next time, may the force be with you. Thank you.